Buenos dias. All right. Oh, nice. All right. Feliz sábado. Shabbat shalom. All right. All right. We are actually going to start a little bit different. Not with song yet. But you know that we do Aaron's blessing at the end. And specifically for today, we are going to do a blessing in the beginning. And this one I have to read because I haven't committed it all to memory. And it says, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech haolam asher kidshanu, b'mitzvotav v'tsavanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to study Torah. Sing with me. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Father, praise and honor and glory be to your name. Father, may we think bigger. May we, may we see bigger. May we see according to your eyes. And may people see that the grace and love and power of Jesus Christ is here in your community. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You know... We've been going through Romans, and, and, and you, you hate to start off this way, but you need to start off this way if we're doing this in a teaching realm, that we have to go back and, and sort of explain where we've come from in the book of Romans. So the first couple of books, the first few books of uh, chapters of Romans are basically saying we're all in the same boat. I don't care if you're of Jewish descent. I don't care if you're Gentile descent. You're going to fall. You have fallen short. Period. All have fallen short. And then he follows up in chapters 4 and 5, but saying, but there is a thing called grace. And grace makes all of what our differences are go away. Because everybody was made the provision by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How many people? Everyone was made the provision through Jesus Christ. And where sin abounds, what does grace do? Grace abounds more. And I know people will cringe, some people will cringe with me saying this, but basically you cannot out-sin grace. Do you understand that? Where sin abounds, that's what that statement says, is if sin is going, going more and more and more, grace still wins. It goes further. But then to balance his statement in this, he says, but just because grace is abounding, which it does, does that make it healthy to sin? And 
No. And that's why he says this monumental statement in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 6. He says, because the wages of sin is not doing bad stuff. The wages of sin is not that you're making your master mad. The wages of sin is death. Why would you want to go back to death? You're trying to live for life. He says they're opposites. You cannot live in death and life in the same place. Do you understand that? It's an oxymoron. Actually, I don't know if, if I ever told you this. Do you know, I, I'm just going to say it real, I'm going to try to do this quick. Do you know why, the, why it's believed by many Jews why women were not allowed to be priests? You guys know this? I mean, people have used this, you know. They, they've, they've manipulated. It's believed by many Jews the reason that they were not supposed to be priests is this. Let me ask you, who gives birth, the woman or the man? The woman. Is, that, is she giving life or death? Life. Who feeds the child with their body as they grow up? Is it the woman or the man? The woman. Is that life or death? What is the main job of the priest of the Old Testament? Death. Sacrifice. And you could not have life and death in the same place. This is why Moses said, you cannot boil a baby kid, you know, a kid, a baby goat, in its mother's what? Milk. Because milk is what? Life. You cannot have death and life in the same place. And so he says, Paul here is saying, that's an oxymoron to want to go and live a life of death when you're claiming that you want a life of life. That sounds weird. It, it, it blows my mind. You would even think this. So now we're here. He says, you're all in the same boat. You're all saved by grace. But, but we come to this point where he sort of takes a little bit of a detour. And, and a lot of scholars aren't quite sure why he makes this detour or he's this side note. And it's in Romans 9 through 11. But before we get to that, I want to show the slide of the, the four women, the names of the four women. So the first one, Tamar. Second one, Rahab. Third, Ruth. Fourth, Bathsheba. Let me ask you, if you know the list, what do these four women have in common? Huh? Yeah, that's what they most, they are, they are named in the genealogy of Christ only in Matthew. Not in Luke, only in Matthew. They are named, they are the four women that were handpicked out of all, I mean, were there only four women in the genealogy of Christ? No. That would be weird. So, but he, Matthew says, no, there's these four women. But actually, if you read Matthew, he doesn't even name Bathsheba. He says, uh, the, he says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. 
the Hittite. There is another theory, and I tend to lean towards this, on what these women have in common. Go to the next slide. So Tamar is believed to be from Canaan. She is a woman from Canaan who marries Judah's son, and because he's not a really righteous person, anyways, he dies, marries the next one, and the, third, the, the next son after that's like, I'm not going to marry this woman. So she has no seed. Do you remember the story? She tricks him, she tricks Judah, now she has seed. The next one we know clearly is from Canaan, right? From the city of Jericho, Rahab. And she was a harlot. Harlot from, from Canaan, but she becomes part of the, after Jericho goes down. The third we know is a Moabite woman. Remember, her mother-in-law is who? Naomi. And she goes back to Israel with her. And then the fourth, and this is where it's not as clear, but some believe that Bathsheba was actually a Hittite woman. That she is not a natural-born Jewish woman. So there are theories that all four of these women descended from non-Jewish background. But when you look back at them, were they Jewish women? Were they? Were they adopted into the community? Yes. And when you look back at Christ, do you say, well, Christ sort of has a bad background. His genealogy is flawed because there's non-Jewish women in there. I mean, they're specific. Matthew is specific saying these four women. Now, granted, you can debate on why, but I do think that this might be potentially. We'll get to this. This is important to where we, where we will come into Romans chapters 9 through 11. Okay. Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 2. And if you have your sword, draw it, and let's battle. Romans 9, verses 2 and 3. Paul starts with a heavy heart, and he says this. I have great sorrow in unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. And I'm going to continue just that little part of verse 4. For, uh, for my own race, the people of Israel. My heart is breaking. I have a broken heart. And I am willing to do whatever. Now, the Greek word there is anathema. You've heard of the word anathema, right, before? That's what it's saying. I would be willing to give up my existence in eternity for my people. Do you remember an Old Testament person who said that? Who said, blot, he said, blot my name out. And guess what? He said this about a people that were righteous. Were they righteous people? No, they were obstinate, rebellious people. And he said, blot 
my name out forever. Blot it out. Isn't this the heart of Christ? This is sort of reflecting what he said in chapter 5. While we were sinners, while we were enemies, while we were enemies of God, he died for us. So how much does he want you in the kingdom? If we do believe what Desire of Ages says, the lengths that Jesus was willing to go by staying on the cross, she says Jesus could not see the end of the portal of the tomb. At one point, he thought his sin that he was adopting here was so great that he would be cut off forever. Yet did he come down? I think this is why we'll be learning for eternity. Just the vastness of this. How, you know, what was he going through emotionally, physically? Point number one is, I think if we really want the heart of Christ, it will be, the conclusion will be, we would actually be willing to give up our salvation we would be willing to give up everything so that somebody else could have the kingdom, which blows our minds. It's not that I want to lose salvation, but I want that love for people, that I'm willing to give up everything, even my place in eternity, so that somebody else can have eternity. Let's continue. In... Uh, it says, now I, I have the wrong verse up there. For uh, It's Romans chapter 9, and we're going to continue with verse 4. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory. And he's talking about the people of Israel. The covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ who is God over all, forever be praised. Amen. Do you remember earlier in Romans, he says, is there an advantage to being Jew? Yeah, there is. They have so much. They were given a lot. There is that advantage. Does it save them? No. Okay. It says no. Let's continue. Verse 6. It is not as though God's word has failed, because remember, he made covenant with them. It's not that it failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Did you catch this? I want you to listen to this. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are descendants are they Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, so before they had done anything, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, 
But by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. I'm going to stop there. Because we're going to have to deal with this. Um, I, we'll read on and then, and then we'll deal with it. The first thing is, I want, you to, Paul, I want you to understand that Paul was saying that just because you are a descendant is not your ceiling. Meaning seal, not that ceiling. Your ceiling. Not just because you have grown up in this church, in the Seventh-day Adventist church, are you sealed. Not just because you grew up Christian, are you sealed. It doesn't matter as much what you descend from. It's the promise and where you are going in relationship with Jesus. By grace, we are saved through faith. Let's continue. Verse 14. So what shall we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now this is where it gets a little sticky here. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture said to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has had mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? I don't know if, well, do you understand why he's saying this argument, why he's saying this? is because if it's God's choice, then why are you blaming me? For who resists his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who has formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he has called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Okay, we are going to have to take a, a step aside and discuss something, which is clearly coming out here, and this idea of predestination. So if you read this, especially outside, I mean, just within that context right there, predestination is clear, Right? Now, I am going to say this, and I hope you listen to the whole context. There is predestination. Okay? You can't get around that. Adam did not, in the conception of Adam, of, you know, the conception of him being a person, did not say to God before he existed, I want you to create me and create me this way. Do you understand that? God had predetermined who Adam would be before Adam existed. Is that illogical? No. 
There are some situations that you are in your birth, who you are. Did you have a choice in that? No. The way God created you, your personality, I wish I did at times. I wish sometimes that. But then I think back, I'm like, well, God created me this way. Sometimes I don't know why, you know. But I'm thankful. There is predestination. The way you look physically, the way you are character-wise. You know, there are choices in some of this also, but... But you didn't have a choice in this. Yet God still created you this way. Now here's where the tricky part is, is when his statements about predestination are applied to salvation. Because are you predestined to where you are going? This is a very Calvinist idea of thinking. Are you predestined to where you are going? That you're saved or not from from the get-go? No. You have to go against so much scripture about free choice to say that. And and then Paul doesn't make sense either. Because he says, my heart is broken for the people that I love that are rejecting. But then why would you even say that if predestination if it was set you know what i'm saying if it's already set you're just like well god determined it i'm sad i guess you know that this person's not going to be in here obviously rod might not make it you know know, i would make it of course but i'm sad but when we throw out everything about predestination then you throw out scripture there is predestination but here's the, perp- here's the thing. The, the whole conclusion is, is God, God is sovereign, yet God gives choice. And he wants you to understand what we can as sort of as this little kid kind of thinking. Is, is he saying to a people that are following him, you won't understand everything. And I know there's probably times where you will disagree with that. But guess what? I still know better. And I'm sorry. I mean, have you ever said, who has kids in here? Have you ever said that to, to a kid? And I know it doesn't really suffice, but I just see a bigger picture there. And he's saying this through this predestination because... If you go back, the Jews and the Gentile converts are bickering. They're bickering at each other. Just like in Corinth, they're bickering at each other. And they're like, well, we're better and we're better. No, we're saved by grace. No, well, you don't have the law, circumcision. And he's like, no, it doesn't matter who is chosen what. You're all saved by grace. So we're going to jump to chapter 10, verse 1, and it says this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they, might, that they may be saved. So he's praying for them. That doesn't mean that they're already sealed or determined. 
For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, according to the one in Pro Presenter, because they have their own Bibles, and ironically, that's supposed to be NIV, and this is NIV, but they differ in some of the translation. I do actually like this translation a little bit better, where it says, because how many of you says Christ is the end of the law? And which has been at times interpreted that the ceasing of the law. But that word in Greek is telos. Now, telos can mean the end. Sort of like, do you guys, um, I'm a biology, my undergrad's biology. You, know, you guys know what a, a telomere is? Telomere in genetics, it's believed that telomeres could, are the very ends, you know, of the DNA, you know, strands there. And if you could provide a way that they would not fray like a like a shoelace you could keep it going forever hence life would last forever so it could mean the end there but this most likely means the target or the goal that you are moving towards which is the end or the goal or the epitome so I like the translation that Christ is the goal of the law. Or Christ is the epitome of the law. The focus of the law. They're not at, at odds with each other. It's that if you were keeping the law and you looked at the law as the goal, you're wrong. Because Christ is the goal. And when you look in Hebrew, all of the words that are like the mitzvot and all of these commandments just mean landmarks. That's what it literally means, is a landmark. Commandments, what we translate as commandment, means a landmark. And why do you use landmarks? If I say, you know, to go over to, to Rod's house, what is the big landmark by Rod's house, if you've been there? Ikea. If you can find Ikea, you can find his house. He owns stock in Ikea and Costco. That's what the commandments were for. But the goal is Rod's house. It's not Ikea. Christ is the goal. The law should help us go there. It is the epitome, the goal. Let's continue. Chapter 10, verses 5. Moses describes the, in the way the righteousness that is by the law. The man that does these things will live by them. So if you try to live by the law, get your righteousness from the law, then the man who does these things, that's just, you're going to live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says... Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. By the way, it's believed by scholars what this is most likely saying, because this is really confusing, I think, if you just read it on a surface level. What it's saying is, 
don't ask if Jesus has come already, like if he's come down, or if he has resurrected. He's done all that. He's, already, he's, he's bigger than that. He's already done those things. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's continue, even though I want to reread that. Maybe I will. For it is with your heart that you believed and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all who richly blesses, all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the, on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I am going to reread verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yeah, amen. That's scripture. Amen. We have made this thing complicated. How complicated have we made salvation? You know, you can misinterpret me or not. When, when Paul and Silas are in jail. Do you remember this? Acts chapter 16. They're in jail. And there's an earthquake because they're singing hymns. They're singing hymns and there's an earthquake. And everything comes off. And the, and the jailer, the, the warden, is about to kill himself. And Paul says, hey, hold up. We're all here. And he comes in and he says, what do I need to do to be saved? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. And it says he immediately takes him home and they clean the wounds. And how long did it take for him to be baptized? Yeah, it says immediately. I do wonder at times if we have made it too complicated. There was a seventh grade girl, you know, so seventh grade is what, 12, 13 years old, who was studying, there, I was studying with a group of girls, there were three, three girls, I was studying with them in scripture, and, and they were really excited. They were excited to be Seventh-day Adventist Christians, and this one girl, probably more than any of the others, was very excited to get baptized. She said, I want to get excited. I, I want to get baptized. I want to get baptized. I want to get baptized. She's like, and I said, well, do you agree with I, Yes, I do. And she said, but I got to ask my grandma because she, she was living with her grandmother. And she said, I have to ask my grandmother. So we met the next week. 
And I said, so what did grandma say? And I saw this very sorrowful face. And she said, my grandma says I'm too young. I said, oh. I said, would you like me to talk to your grandma about what we've been discussing? She said, no. My grandma says we're too young. I'm too young. So she had transferred to a different school, and I saw her her senior year of high school. And I said, hey, and I'm not going to say her name, hey, you, <laughs> how you been? How's everything? And she's like, I'm doing good. You know, I'm going to this school here. And, and I said, can I ask you a question? Did you ever get baptized? You were so excited. She said, no. I said, is it something still on your mind? She said, not really. Not really. And my heart broke. It broke. Because she was eager to live her life for Christ. And somebody said, no, you're not ready. And by her senior year, she said, I don't want it anymore. Now, I'm not saying that's the determining factor. But how complicated have we made this process? When scripturally, I'm only talking about the Bible. Scripturally, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. It doesn't say all the other stuff that we add to it. And he continues and he says, you know, but how much better if somebody gives them the message? Does evangelism matter? Yes, it does. The sad thing is we have this, we all have a different, it's not a sad thing, maybe it's a good thing. We all have different views of what evangelism is. Um, I would recommend that we don't box it into public evangelism. In my vision, I would love to see it where everybody did evangelism all the time, like in their workplaces, that people knew, man, this person here, they love Jesus, and I want to know. That's part of the reason that I miss working out in the, in the real world. I live in a fake world right now. But in the real world, I loved connecting with people and showing them the love and power of Jesus Christ. That's why I need my gym membership, Anna. I need it. That's my only outlet in the outside world. Romans chapter 11. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage of Elijah? Did God reject his people? Did God reject his people? No, by no means. Now, this is where it becomes sticky with the idea of dispensationalism. Do you guys know what dispensationalism? Some of you do, maybe from Wheaton College or something, if you have taken these classes. 
Dispensationalism is the idea that there are two separate covenants. There is one that sprouted this way to Judaism, and Christianity follows a different path. I want to read on before we discuss this. Verse 5 and 6. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant uh, chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. By the way, who who is saved by grace? Everybody. Everybody is saved by grace. And the remnant, which has been thrown around sometimes within our denomination... Is by what? The remnant is chosen by grace. Sometimes I think we have misused even this word remnant. Which, you know, that the remnant is just the remainder, right? So the remainder of a carpet, of a cloth, or whatever this kind of thing is. And, And he's saying here... The only reason there's a remnant is by grace. So if you are part of this remnant, whether it's from the Jewish line or you are becoming part of it, it is only by grace. Continue. Verse 13 and and 14. I mean, 13. I mean, yeah. I am talking to you Gentiles. So who is the audience right now? Gentiles. He was talking to Jews before. He's now talking to the Gentiles, this context here. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that somehow arouse my people to envy and to, and to save some. So he's like, I would do anything somehow to wake them up so that they would come to the knowledge. For if their rejection is, re- is the reconciliation of the world, what will the acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nurturing nourishing sap of the olive root do not boast over those branches if you do consider this you do not support the root the root supports you you will say then branches were broken off so that i could be grafted in granted but they were broken off not so that you could be grafted in but because of their unbelief and you stand by faith do not be arrogant but be afraid For if God did not spare the natural branches, he's not going to spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in this kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. And if you do not persist in unbelief, they, wait, if they do not persist in unbelief, they can be grafted in again. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree 
that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into the cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into the olive tree? You have to understand grafting somewhat, but also understand that he is not making a literal grafting here. So if you, how many of you have ever seen this done? How many of you have ever grafted anything before? Okay. So there are questions. Is he saying that this is a literal grafting that like for a lemon tree, so if you have a lemon tree in, a, in an orange branch and you put this here into the branch, what kind of fruit will come here? It'll be an orange. It'll still be an orange. But it's, it's taking the nourishment from the root, right? So that it's healthy. Is God saying, well, I broke off these because I wanted to get rid of Judaism, and I have put you in so that we have this new hybrid kind of thing. Is that what he's saying? No. He's not saying that. He's actually saying that we all come from one root and branch. Now, what is that root and branch? Well, the root, yeah, obviously is Jesus Christ. So the root for Adam is who? Jesus Christ. The root for Moses is who? The root for Christians is who? Jesus Christ. I'll come back to this. I just want to read this. I didn't put this up here. It says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in, your, in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written. This is, this is verse 26. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. How much of Israel will be saved? According to scripture, all. Now here's where I make my crazy statement. Because I believe in this statement. You are Israel. As much as them. Those four women were Jews. You are a Jew. And we throw, we're like, okay, I can see that. And we've called our denomination the spiritual Jews. They never use the expression spiritual Jews in scripture. You are Jew or not Jew? Jew or Gentile? Boom. You are a Jew. You're a Jew. I'm a Jew. I am a Jew. Here's the thing. This word became bad later on, and we, and we have used it in an anti-Semitic way, and we said, no, 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 we're Christians. I've actually had people say, no, no, I am a Christian. I am not a Jew. Do you know where the, there's three places where Christian is used in Scripture. Was Christian something that was self-designated? Were they, did they call themselves Christians? No. 
they were called, it was a sort of a derisive term in the Greek. It meant little, little Christ. You know, oh, you're a little Christ. And so, you know, and so it was very derisive towards them. Later on, it became their, their badge of honor. But do you think Paul was saying, I'm not a Jew anymore? Once he became a believer in Messiah? No. He still wanted to go to synagogue. He still did the feasts. He still went at Shabbats and did this. He said, I am a Jew. But if you understand what a true Jew is, remember in Romans chapter 2, if you understand what a true Jew is, a, Jew, a true Jew is, is rooted in Messiah. Yeshua, the Messiah. So here's my other controversial statement. A real Jew, according to Scripture, is somebody who believes in Jesus as the Messiah. That is a real Jew. Now, I would not say this to the cultural Jews that we have out there or the nationalistic Jews, but according to Scripture, a true Jew is someone rooted in Messiah. Now, why is that important to me and you? Because I'm just making the statement out here. Is because we are all from one root, under one covenant. I know we say this old and new covenant, which there is an old and new part of this covenant where he says, I will write this on your heart. But God did not make two different roots and say, you guys were saved by works and the law, and now when I come, now everybody's saved by grace. He said, nope, guess what? You are all saved by grace. None of that changed. But guess what? Those things that you did in the Old Testament, like sacrifice, it is impossible for that blood to cover your sins. Jesus Christ, that's it. It's by grace. One tree, one covenant. And how that affects us is, you know, I think about it even just on a logical perspective. Well, if that's the truth, then the law of the Old Testament, why would it change? If, we're under, if we've always been under that same covenant, why would it change? That's ridiculous. Then God is fickle. God's like, oh, that didn't work. I made something that didn't work. You know, here's my law that I made, and it's perfect law. And, well, I guess I sort of messed up there. Hey, I better send Jesus. All right, Jesus, please fix this thing. That makes no sense. What he's saying is we are all part of the same covenant the same root here, and that's by grace. And let's finish off with this. Verse 28 through 33, as the chorister comes up here. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account, but as for election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gift and his call are irrevocable, 
just as you were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So too, they have become disobedient in order that you may now too receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Oh, the depths of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God, how searchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. May you be reminded that collectively our community is under one covenant and it's by grace. And to the sons of Aaron, to you, the holy priesthood, this blessing. Yevareka Adonai Vaishmareka, Yaer Adonai Panavaleka, Vichuneka, Yesadonai Panavaleka, Vayasem Lecha Shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance toward you and give you peace. Father, anoint us. May we join collectively to bring the message of Jesus Christ to people that are desperately yearning for him, even if they don't know it. Lord, may you be glorified through this community here. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everybody.